Fire is an interesting metaphor used in the human experience. I might be standing before a group of graduating seniors today and tell them to go set the world on fire. I might see someone play a terrific basketball game, an individual whose shooting percentage is quite high, and then I say, he or she is on fire. We might talk about a purifying fire for those who go through testing and come out better on the other side. We might describe everything being on fire, an all-consuming fire, like Job, who went through immense suffering. We might be mesmerized by a cozy fire listening to our favorite music. We might sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets as we think of the beauty of the creation. The symbolism of fire has a strong substance to it as well. It's a very raw material that we live with. Think of a literal fire for a moment. We might get burned cooking dinner, right? And it doesn't matter who's cooking the dinner. It could be a a hack like me, or it could be Rachel Ray, but it burns no matter who's cooking the dinner. We might see in the news a burning building, and we think to ourselves, I hope they made it out alive. We might look in horror at the hundreds and hundreds of homes destroyed by the wind-driven flames we've recently seen in Boulder, Colorado. So fire has a symbolism to it, but it has a literal element to it as well. And somehow when we come to the Bible, we need to distinguish between the two. Fire has this symbolic element. The scriptures tell us that our God is a consuming fire. The Apostle Peter in his first letter says, we all go through fiery trials. One is symbolic here. Some feels more literal. And yet, some of it is quite literal. So what we find is fire is used all through the Bible and even in our own vernacular. It is also used quite extensively in mythology as well. One of the most significant uses of the image of fire is accompanied with the resurrection from fire in the image of a phoenix. Arising triumphantly from the ashes, the phoenix has been an enduring symbol of resilience and renewal and resurrection for thousands of years. That's the image I'd like to use for this short uh, series that we're in this month. The inspiration for this month's series comes from a new book that has been released by the author Brian Zond. Brian uh, has just released this book entitled, When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. I got this for Christmas. I'm about halfway through it right now. And the question that's addressed in the book is, when we see everything is on fire around us, and he's speaking symbolically here, is it still possible to believe? Is it still possible to have faith? 
So I want to talk for a few weeks about faith that rises up out of the ash heap of the world that we know, that we see, and experience. So it's interesting in the Old Testament that Job thought he had everything going for him. And if you read that long book, it's 42 chapters long. And it can be quite laborious to get through the whole book because it's all poetry. But what we find is Job starts off with everything going great. Then all of a sudden, everything goes south. What we find is his life ends up on an ash heap and he covers himself with ashes symbolically to picture what happened to his life. And, and he has three friends that come along and basically tell him, you've done something wrong, Job. You've done something wrong. Just confess it and maybe God will have mercy upon you. And Job looks at his life and he goes, I don't know why I'm sitting on this ash heap. In fact, he says this, I thought I would end my days with my family and be as long lived as the phoenix. That's a translation out of the Jewish study Bible. And it's interesting that what we find is you can translate it quite literally, but it's a symbolic thing. Some Jewish scholars say, I thought I would end my days in my nest. We use the vernacular, my crib now, right? (laughs) This is my crib. I thought I would end my days in my nest and be as long-lived as the phoenix. The phoenix is this mysterious bird that is found in all kinds of writings. There is a playwright, a Jewish playwright, that goes by the name Ezekiel the Dramatist, not Ezekiel that's found in the Bible, this is another individual, that pictured the exodus of the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land as a phoenix that has risen above the ash heap. The phoenix appears in all kinds of texts, and even in the earliest days of Christianity, when imperial coins that bore the figure of the phoenix circulated on the streets of Rome, persecuted Christians painted images of the phoenix on the catacomb walls beneath the city of Rome. This is an actual picture of a painting in one of the catacombs, and it's described as the mythical bird Arabia, which according to the belief of the people in the ancient times is reborn from its ashes after a certain number of centuries. Ultimately, even the early Christians used the phoenix as a symbol of resurrection. Now, today I want to talk a little bit about little fires everywhere. Now, Esty and I watched this um, special series. It was a drama that streamed on Hulu a couple of years ago. Little Fires Everywhere follows this intertwined fate between the picture-perfect Richardson family and a black mother and her daughter who end up locally in Shaker Heights, Ohio. That's where the story is set. But the series is a metaphor of the frightening gap between race relationships 
who fits into that community and who does not fit into that community. And there are some dark moments throughout that whole series as there are little fires everywhere. But there's also some hope that rises from that world of challenge. And it's this idea that we can move beyond these little fires everywhere. And what we can do is be united as human beings. Well, we look around and we see all kinds of things that are happening all around us all the time. We might say there are little fires everywhere. We turn on the news and we see different things that are happening. We see things like violence and hatred. We see the marriage of religion with politics. We see the development of nuclear weapons and the rise of terrorism. We see global warming. We see wildfires. And now over the last couple of years, we've been dealing with this pandemic. And what we find is that there are certain anniversaries that mark us, like 9-11. One that happened on Thursday just this past week was the one-year anniversary of the attack on the Capitol building by some of our own citizens. But Jesus makes a statement. Everyone will be salted with fire. I have never noticed that phrase before. I probably have read it because I've read through the Bible a number of times, but every so often something will jump off the page. And we somehow are salted by the trials that we go through. We are individuals that go through our own individual ash heaps at times, and sometimes we do so collectively. It's interesting that people sometimes will lose their faith when something goes wrong. The three friends of Job wanted him to renounce his belief in God, and he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it. I know it. I know it intrinsically. But for a variety of reasons, over the last 25 years, we see a lot of people losing faith in a loving Creator because of what they see internationally, nationally, or personally. And these people go through a process that is often called deconstruction. People who at one time were vibrant in their faith, but now they're deconstructing their faith because what they see does not make sense. Now when people go through things that don't make sense anymore, then people get angry and full of fear. And it becomes increasingly difficult sometimes for people to hold on to their faith that they simplistically held to in their earlier years. I heard Pete Enns say this, and I think it's worthy of repetition. Deconstruction is not something you choose to do, but it's something that happens to you. In other words, people don't go out intentionally to wreck their faith, but there are certain things that don't add up. And because they don't add up, then they find that the faith that they once held to is slipping through their fingers. Brian Zahn, in his book, 
gives the illustration of a man by the name of Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche lived from 1844 to 1900, but do you know this most famous atheist grew up in a Lutheran home? He's an individual that became an atheist, but he didn't start out that way. Here's one quote from Nietzsche. He says, I overcame myself the sufferer, I carried my own ashes to the mountains, and I invented a brighter flame for myself. Interesting. There was something that happened to Nietzsche that caused him to lose faith and lose faith in the church. So in 1882, he published a parable called The Madman. This isn't the best audio, but try to listen to this. This is The Madman by Frederick Nietzsche. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran into the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Questioned one. Did he lose his way like a child? Questioned another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Emigrated? Thus they yelled and whooped and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? he cried. I will tell you. We have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained the earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backward, sideward, forward in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not now need the light of lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? God too decompose. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What is holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of the deed too great for them? Must we ourselves not become God simply to be appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all hitherto history. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners. And they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground and it broke into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said, and then, my time is not yet. This, tre this tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than the most distant stars. And yet, they have done it themselves.
So let me dissect that just for a moment. So this parable is asking the question, where is God? And then he goes on to say that we have killed God. We as human beings have killed God. And when he goes into the village with a lantern and proclaims that we have killed God, all the villagers laugh at the sentiment that we have killed God. Then he realizes, I have come too soon. My time is not yet. It is still on the way. In other words, Nietzsche felt he was too early in what he foresaw. And actually it would take another century for it to happen. The proclamation that God is dead did not really become public until it appeared on the cover of Time magazine in the 1960s. The cover asked, is God dead? And according to Nietzsche, he saw this great gulf between what people say they believe and how they actually live out their life. Now, what's ironic through this whole thing is Nietzsche felt, since there's no God, there needs to be a superhuman element of the human race that rises up for the betterment of all mankind. Little did he realize that those who would read his words the most were the Nazis, who felt themselves to be the superhumans that could rise up, take power, and lead humanity into a better tomorrow. Now, Brian Zahn in this book is describing where we are today. The little fires everywhere is, it's hard to believe in God. People have given up on believing in God. But we come back to this idea. Maybe we don't realize that all the troubles that we see and experience in life are actually things that form us. They are the things that challenge us. They are the things that mold us. So we stand at a crossroads. Here's the choice. God or what? God or what? What are we left with if we give up on God? What does Jesus mean when he says we have been salted by fire? Well, salt is a valuable ingredient in the ancient world because it was used for purity and preservation and flavor and it becomes a metaphor for wisdom and there's even such a thing called a covenant of salt as well. Our days, we basically use it for seasoning or we throw it on the ground to break up the ice on the sidewalk. But salt was a precious commodity in the ancient world. And he says you will be salted by fire. In other words, maybe all the trials that we go through in our life is shaping us in such a way that we can actually be a benefit to the world around us. So what do you do when you're going through the trials that are leaving kind of the ash heap around you? Maybe you realize that someone else needs to see you rise up above those circumstances like a phoenix. What if a faith worth saving is salted by the fires that we go through in this life? Here's what I mean. Is faith worth saving? And don't say yes simply out of fear. 
but say it out of observation. The people I think that we admire the most and those we would like to imitate have been marked by the fires of suffering somewhere. You look at a single mom raising her kids on her own. Yes, that inspires me. It is the committed dad that is not ashamed of his special needs child. Yes, that inspires me. It is the children of a parent who has dementia but still treats that parent with dignity and respect. Yes, that inspires me. It is the brother or sister that comes to the aid of a sibling that really does not deserve another chance but gives it anyways. That inspires me. It's that individual that reaches across the spectrum to treat other people with love without racism and prejudice. That inspires me. It is the member of the LGBTQ community that perseveres through slander and the stupidity of other people without becoming bitter or retaliating. Yes, that inspires me. It's the individual that lives on the margins financially but still makes a dinner to give to a sick neighbor. Mm, that inspires me. It's that person that's heartbroken by someone who has betrayed a trust but is still willing to forgive. That inspires me. But there are little fires everywhere that don't inspire me. The faith that is not worth saving, the faith that we want to leave in the ash heap rather than allowing it to rise like a phoenix is that overly zealous person who does not respect a different opinion or perspective. Nope, don't want to be like that. Or a person who uses other people for their own advantage. Nope. A person who embezzles funds to get rich. Nope. A person who flaunts their talent or looks to be admired. Nope. A person who doesn't care about anyone or anything but himself. No, that doesn't inspire me. A person who is a know-it-all and is arrogant. No, I don't even want to hear him talk. You see, our lives are salted by little fires everywhere, either positively or negatively. And when you have a faith that is salted by fire, you are not only a phoenix rising above the ash heap, but you're also helping others to rise above the ash heap as well. When you're able to rise like a phoenix from the ash heap, you will be able to inspire other people to keep going. Dostoevsky once said this, I believe in Christ and confess Him not like some child. My Hosanna has passed through an enormous furnace of doubt. All of us will have those nights where we will lie on our bed and wonder, have I been snookered? Am I believing in something that is not real? Have I been caught up in the emotion of it? Well, you remember I read earlier about Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses saw a literal fire burning. 
He thought his life was a dead end. If you know the story of Moses, you know that he saw all that was happening to his people by the Egyptians. And one day, he sees an Egyptian beating a Jewish person, and he comes to that person's aid, and he kills the Egyptian. Now, all of a sudden, he's hunted. And so he flees. He goes out into the desert. It is there that he will get married. It is there that he will tend the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And he does this for 40 years. His life is a dead end. He's basically shepherding these flocks And he's walking over the same ground repeatedly, over and over and over again. One day passes by the other. But one day, he walks by a bush, and it's on fire. That's not so unusual. In the desert, you have these fires that can spark up any time to overly dry bushes. But this one doesn't burn up. So he walks by it again and again and again. And finally, he stops to look because he cannot figure out why this bush is not consumed. And as he stops, he hears a voice from within the bush saying, Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And in that experience... While he is living on the ash heap of exile out in the desert, he hears God speak to him. And he's given a commission to go to Pharaoh and proclaim, let my people go. Even though you look at Moses' life, you look at Job's life, you look at other people's lives and you say, how can they still believe? It's because they had an experience, an experience that cannot be taken away from them. You see, faith is not just something that you can ascertain empirically as you watch the lives of other people. It is something that you experience existentially or experientially. And what you find is there's something inside of you that's telling you, take one more step today. Don't give up. Just one more day, one more, one at a time. And I guess when you take your shoes off, you become aware of the world around you, and you feel it in a different way. In 2010, a man by the name of Arthur Jones was a filmmaker from England that embarked on a year-long mission to live his life barefoot. Known as the Soul Man, (laughs) Jones spent the entire year traveling the world, walking through the freezing snow of Norway and standing on the hot pavement in Shanghai. And he said, I see the world differently than when I had shoes on. When I had the protective cover Maybe, just maybe, God had Moses take his sandals off so that he could experience something that he would never forget. That's what Rabbi 
Lawrence Kushner says, he says, the burning bush was not a miracle, it was a test. God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. And when Moses did, God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There's another word right here within this one, whenever we pay attention. It's a good word, isn't it? There's little fires everywhere around us all the time. But are we waking up in the night of fire and perceiving God is among us? There was a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who had little fires everywhere around him. He's called the weeping prophet of the Old Testament. And finally, he has enough of it. And you might say he is going through deconstruction when you read the book of Jeremiah. And finally, he says, I curse the day I was born. I curse the man that told the neighbors that it's a boy. (laughs) And so just about the time he's ready to give up, in the dark night of his soul, he has this night of fire. He is salted with fire. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, if I close it down, if I stop believing, here's how he puts it, If I say I will not mention him, God, or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in, indeed, I cannot. In other words, the fire that is there, you can keep pushing it down below the surface, And saying, I will not believe, but it keeps coming back like a phoenix. It keeps rising up from the ash heap. And Jeremiah goes on to finish what God called him to do. Moses goes on to finish what God called him to do. We need not fear the fire that's inside our bones. Because this fire is the fire of God's love given to us. So what is the fire in your bones today? Where are you walking today but not noticing the little fires everywhere? This year I pray that the little fires that we go through will only serve to reaffirm how much God loves you. I trust as we make our way like a phoenix out of the ash heap, that what we will find is our faith is bigger, our faith is stronger, because we've gone through what we've gone through. So Corey emailed me earlier in the week. He said, this is an interesting song. You'll have to look it up and play it online. Um... And I'm going to show you the lyrics as we close, but let me summarize, because this is a type of message that you could get lost in. I understand that. 
Arising triumphantly from the ashes, the phoenix has been the enduring symbol of resilience, renewal, and resurrection for thousands of years. Jesus uses the image of salt and fire together when he says, you will be salted with fire. It will be formed, it will shape, be shaped by the trials that you go through. There was a time when Moses saw a little fire burning in, the, in a particular place that he thought was a dead end, but it was actually the beginning of what would lead to the exodus. So this song that Corey emailed me is by a band named uh, Guster. I had never heard of him before, but that's one of his favorite bands. And this is a lyric, not very long, from a song called, I Hope Tomorrow Is Like Today. Boy, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Many times we go, I can't wait for what? Tomorrow, because today is so crummy. (laughs) But in this song, it says, I'm awake, you're still sleeping. The sun will rise like yesterday. Everything that we are now is everything we can't let go. Or it's gone forever, far away. I hope tomorrow is like today. Don't, Don't you go away tomorrow. I don't think I could handle that. You're probably dreaming that you're flying on. And then you start to fall, but then you rise and shine forever. Don't go away. I hope tomorrow is like today. Would you stand with me? Whatever trials you're going through today, realize you're being salted by it. That's where we need each other, don't we? To be encouraged to keep going. So let me pray as we close our time this morning. Father, give us the grace and strength to rise above the ash heaps that are all around us, the little fires everywhere. And help us to realize, Lord, that you're shaping us and molding us. You're helping us to become deeper and wider. You're helping us, Lord, to be taller than what we are on our own. Help us to trust this process, even like the Apostle Peter reminds us that we have a faith that is being refined, and it's so so much more precious than gold. I pray you'll encourage us in the midst of our doubts. I pray, Father, you'll empower us in the midst of our depressions. I pray, Father, that you'll use us in the midst of our weakness. We thank you for this enduring image that we can be like a phoenix that arises. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. I hope you have a great week.